This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers, and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. Today, I'm honored to be chatting with Olofunto Borofis, or Funto for short. Funto is the founder and CEO of Chanja Dati, a waste collection and recycling social enterprise based in northern Nigeria. Funto is directly responsible for diverting over 4,500,000 kilograms of recyclable waste from landfills in her region, while also empowering the unemployed women, at-risk youths, and waste pickers of the region. Today we chat about bottles for books, trash for cash, and how she personally is changing the world one plastic bottle at a time. Please welcome the esteemed Funto Borifis. So first of all, I am astounded by the wonderful technology that we're, we're dealing with because my guest today is Olufunto Borofis. We're, I think we're allowed to call you Funto. Yes. And she is joining us from Nigeria. God bless the world for technology that we can actually connect this way. So Funto, Olufunto, Funto is the founder and CEO of Shanja Dati. Now, first of all, let me ask you if I'm saying that correctly. Marilyn, you have it right. Chanjadati, yes. You're saying that very Chanjadati. Yes. Perfect. So Chanjadati is a waste collection and recycling social enterprise based in northern Nigeria. Yep. Let me just give this to our listeners as a platform to start from. Okay. And I, I found this when I was looking into you. When you peer into the gutters of any big Nigerian city, a filthy sight awaits you. Floating cans, nylon water sachets, empty bottles, and other waste materials, discarded by humans, swept there by rain, gathering and clogging up the drains. There is also 8,000 tons of waste generated daily in your region, Abuja, and only about 30, 20 to 30% of it is actually collected. And that's just one city in Nigeria. The issue is massive. So first of all, welcome Funto. Thank you so much for joining me. And this is such a incredibly, incredibly important conversation. Let me start with, how did you come up with this fantastically life-changing idea? 
Well, first of all, Marilyn, let me just say a huge, huge, huge thank you for just inviting me to just your show, the platform. Um, this has just been, I'm so excited to be here, to be able to, anytime I get the opportunity to be able to share my thoughts, you know, talk to people about what I'm doing, I, I just absolutely love it. And to now answer your question, um, yes, I run Chantedati, which in house, for those who are wondering, uh, means to change dirt or to transform waste. That's what it means in the Hausa language, which is one of the three um, predominant um, languages in Nigeria. And how I stumbled upon this um, life calling, I would say, is um, I actually, I lived in the U.S. for close to 20 years. Um, I schooled there, um, did both undergrad and master's, worked with um, General Electric in their um, financial um, business for close to 12 years. Um, but I felt the draw to come back to Nigeria, come back to the continent um, and give my part, right? Do my piece for um, for my motherland. And so I had the opportunity to do that around eight years ago, um, where I had the opportunity of working as a technical advisor for the equivalent of the, um, the Secretary of Energy. Um, and so my portfolio was around investor relations and donor support. And so we we had a lot of investors who were coming into the country interested in waste to energy. That was the link, right? Waste to energy. But a lot of them will come from places like the US, Canada, um, Asia, and they would go back most times disappointed because our waste was not sorted. You know, like you mentioned when you started with the intro, you'll find that a lot of our waste in our gutters, you know, unfortunately in our drainage systems. Um, and they were not, they were all sort of mushed together. They weren't sorted properly. And so a lot of them left disappointed because in order to be able to do waste to energy, you need to have waste that is separated into, yeah, especially materials that um, have, you know, the right calorific value. And so for me, it was an aha moment. I was like, look, this is something that the government is not really going to pay attention to. But as an individual seeing, you know, the amount of opportunities that are in this sector, what am I doing about it or what can we do about it? And so that was what sort of led me down this path. The other thing was each time I came home to visit when I was still lived in the U.S. Um, full, full time, I would see a lot of people who looked needed jobs, right? They needed jobs. And because of a, a dollar here or two dollars here, were willing to really, people way older than I was, were willing to genuflect and do all sorts. And I was like, you know, the Nigerians that I remember are very proud people. So I'm like, this is, this is a bit of an anomaly. What is going on here? And when you sort of peel back the onions and you ask the question, so what's going on? They're like, ah, my daughter, no job. Again, the, the bottom line was they didn't have any jobs and that was why they were begging. Um, and then the, the third point was exactly what you mentioned. Every corner, it felt like it was, I mean, especially coming from the U.S., coming back to Nigeria, it felt like every corner, every donate network had waste in it. And coming from a place where you had a, a separate pin, bin for recycling, I was like, why don't we have this kind of infrastructure here um, in Nigeria? And so for me, it wasn't even just the need of, oh, let the government do this. I was just like, okay, what can I as an individual, um, as a woman, as a change maker, somebody who's passionate about stuff, what can I do? And honestly, that choice and that decision to do something um, I would say seven years after the fact has blossomed into something that I never imagined it would be. Um, you know, have a staff strength now of like 70 plus people full time, 130 plus people part time. You know, I have, you know, women who create uh, more than 50 percent of our workforce. You know, I have people who are able to pay the fees for their kids, are able to put a roof over their heads, you know, able to, you know, um, make sure that they have, they're able to go to the hospital when they need it. And that's 
on top of being able to divert from landfills and um, waterways over 5,000 tons of waste, all this in, 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 in almost seven years. So for me, you know, that idea sort of has packed a platform where, you know, I'm excited every day because I know that we're making, no matter how small, we're actually making a bit of a change. Um, and I'm just super excited about that. It's, I don't, I don't view it as a small change at all, Funto. This is absolutely huge. So if we go back to, okay, the government's probably going to overlook it. I see this every day and I can understand now when you're coming from the U.S., people are dragging their blue bins out every day and carefully sorting, hopefully, what goes in there. How did you start? Did you need a whole bunch of money? Was there a GoFundMe? Was there a government grant? I mean, how how do you take it from, I'm going to do something about it to actually doing something about it? Excellent question. So I started small. I started from where I was, right? Um, I didn't even think at that point in time to get funding of any sort. I just said, you know what? Um, luckily for me, I was still doing the government job. So I had some savings saved up. Um, and so I registered the company. I did all the, you know, the regular things to do. I set up a, um, a website and all that stuff, right? I still had money, but honestly, I quickly ran out of money <laughs> as, as is the case. And I started with a staff strength of only four people. So it was myself. I converted my driver, my personal driver, because I had a driver then who drove me around. Um, since I had just moved back and I didn't really know the lay of the land, I had someone who used to drive me around. Um, so I converted him to my first employee, actually, for Changedity. And then I got two young boys who um, had graduated from high school um, and were had worked for a bit, but they wanted to they wanted to save funding for college. So I just said, okay, why don't you guys just join me? Um, we're trying to change the world, save the world. And you will be the like the first two full-time staff outside of my logistics manager now who would sort of, and that's how we started. And so even then I had a, I drive a, I, I drove a, a Camry. I have a Camry, which is like a Toyota car. And honestly, people would call us. We didn't have any collection vehicle, nothing. They'll call us and we would use that same car to go pick up waste from people's homes or schools. You know, people would call us from all over the place. Um, and honestly, where I think our fortunes sort of changed a bit, honestly, was, I mean, I wrote so many proposals. I wrote so many, you know, letters. I, I knocked on virtually any door that I thought would open up for me. I was there asking questions, saying, please, we need your support. And, and, you know, we even coined the slogan, give us your trash, not your cash. Right. So we were going there saying, look, don't even pay us. Don't give us money. Just give us your trash. Because I know that the trash that I'm collecting has some value, right? From as far as I was concerned, this was displaced um, resources, right? And so we, we, our big break was with um, the Transcop Hilton Hotel here in Abuja, where they really, we were able to talk to their general manager and he was like, okay, you know, we can allow you to, because we they, they didn't really sort their waste, but they said, you know what, this is something that we're really, we really want to consider. So why don't you give us two members of your workforce, right? to come stay permanently in our refuse room and let them sort the waste that is generated, the recyclable waste that's generated in the hotel. And that honestly was our big break where they now they gave us that opportunity. And so any other conversation we had after that, when we went to meet other people, they were like, okay, so who are you doing this for? We say, oh, you know, we're doing this for the Transcorp Hilton Hotel. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that sort of legitimized what we were trying to do and allowed us to be able to sort of grow. Um, and, you know, since then um, to now, we probably have over 40 clients that we support with just recycling services outside of just working with um, 
We're also working with just waste pickers and scavengers, right? And making sure that we buy waste off of them. So there's a whole bunch of like over a thousand waste pickers that um, do a lot of work on the dump sites and landfills um, that we also buy recyclable waste from. But we actually have over 40 clients that we actually use our, um, our collection buses to go pick up waste in there. You know, and they include banks, schools, offices. I mean, the yeah. So again, super excited about where we've been today. But I know that there's still a lot to do going forward. I love that story. Two roads lead from that. Let me ask the, I guess I'm going to call it uninformed question. 20 to 30% of the waste is collected. Mm-hmm. What does that, do you have garbage trucks that go around and collect waste? Is is that what it is? Yes. And, and why is so much of it not collected? I guess is my first road f- for the first question. Sure. So, yeah, so 20, I would even say, yeah, 20 to 30 percent, you know, depending, um, is collected um, with um, through contractors who own garbage trucks. Right. And they go from home to home and they actually pick up the waste from your house. But there's almost like over 70 percent of the population that that doesn't happen. And it's really because they're not not enough infrastructure, not enough trucks, you know, not enough people who can do that kind of job. But really, it's the infrastructure, not enough trucks to go around. And actually, you know, and in some places, you know, unfortunately, there are areas where there are illegal plants. So they don't even have infrastructure. When I when I say infrastructure, they don't even have roads <laughs> to even get there sometimes. Right. Because they're yeah. like, you know, illegal infrastructures. And so those kind of people, there are no roads for even trucks to go, garbage trucks to go there and actually pick up the waste. So those kind of people don't ever have the opportunity to even give their waste to the government to pick up, right? So they end up working with the waste local waste pickers and the and local, what they call mebolas, which are the local waste pickers or scavengers who go around with their wheelbarrows. They'll buy, they'll, you'll pay them, they'll take your waste from your homes. But unfortunately, a lot of these mebolas are not educated enough. So they'll just look for the closest stream or water body and just empty the waste inside so that the water will wash it away. So that's, so in some of these places, that's what's going on, right? And we, again, part of what we do is not just the collection of the waste, but we're also sensitizing and trying to raise awareness. So we go on radio, we go, you know, use print media, social media to sort of, you know, spread the word that this is not the right thing to do. Like you need to actually make sure that you hand your waste over to the right, recyclable waste over to the right parties um, and even your home waste over to the right parties. We also try and encourage people to sort of live zero waste lifestyle. So if you have food waste coming from your kitchen, for example, why don't you turn that into manure, you know, and and plant a small garden, you know, just ways to sort of make sure that we reduce the amount of waste, you know, that needs to be collected by, unfortunately, these uneducated people um, so that it doesn't end up in the wrong way, in the wrong place. Absolutely. Thank you. So Mibolos, waste pickers, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Mibolas, yes. Yes, Mibolas. Mibolas. From what I've read from what I've what I've learned that they're underprivileged kids, they're uneducated folks, that the only way that they can make any money is to go into these dump sites or areas and and collect trash and then sell it for any sort of money that they're that somebody would be willing to pay them. But it's a it's a dangerous situation, right? Because there's disease, there's sharp objects, there's all kinds of things that could happen to these people when they're crawling through these horrible situations, these horrible waste piles. 
I mean, you know, I don't know that there are enough words to describe. I think my life was really changed. Um, when Once I started going directly to the dump sites and I saw the conditions that people were living on, especially young people, right? And since then, I've really honestly had a heart for, again, the waste pickers, the scavengers, because I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And that's just the honest truth, right? And I always tell people that when you're, you're feeling bad or you're feeling, you know, like maybe things haven't gone your way, go to a dump site and see how people are living. I think there'll be a bit of a reset because then I think you'll be more grateful for the life that you have. Uh, because, but for the grace of God, there go I, honestly. I mean, there's no, you know, accident of birth maybe that I ended up where I am. And, and so we've, even with everything we've done, we keep on trying to make sure that we support um, the waste speakers. So we have a lot of programs, which are pro poor inclusion programs to help them, you know, open bank accounts, you know, do some literacy um, training, health and safety training, you know, do medical screenings for them. Because a lot of times, none of these things happen. I mean, I've heard instances of um, waste speakers that die because of a simple tooth problem that became, you know, then formed into an abscess. And, you know, they're treating it with local medicines that sometimes don't work. You know, I've had instances of them being infected, you know, because they don't have tetanus shots. So they get infected by a simple cut that, you know, normally for even someone like myself, I'd go to the clinic or to the hospital and get it treated, you know, and, you know, maybe take antibiotics. They don't have access to all those things. So small things like that end up, um, unfortunately, sometimes killing them. So yes, it's, and a lot of them are migrant workers. So they're not really from FCT or Abuja, where I'm based. They're from Core North. Um, they're usually, you know, this children who didn't have any formal education and they've aged out of the system that they grew up in, you know, the, the system that, you know, the, the, the type of education that they were going through, they've aged out of that system and now they have to earn a living for themselves and sometimes for their families. So the only thing they can do with no education, no money is to move to a place like uh, the federal capital territory of the country and try and find a living. And sometimes even they have people who actually bring them down from where they are and promise them a better life. Um, so they come and then they end up doing this kind of work. Um, but I will say this, there's some of the most hardworking group of people I've ever seen, because even in the face of horrific working conditions, a lot of times, um, they still come rain, come shine. I think the only day that they take off, honestly, is Friday when they need to go to the mosque um, and they go, need to go pray. Otherwise, even on Sundays, they're working. Um, and so one of the things that we were able to do last year, which I'm excited about, was, again, we we're able to support like over 1,500 of them through um, partnership with our sister NGO and funding from organizations. Um, we were able to support 1,500 of them with the personal uh, protective equipment, uh, where we give them gloves, nose masks, um, safety boots, reflective jackets. Um, we were able to feed them. We were able to do like the medical screening. So things like that, right, to just help them um, come up with a better quality of life, right? So, you know, something that shouldn't cut them, cuts them, they know what to do or they're protected because they're wearing gloves and the like. Thank you for that education, Funjo. I think it's probably something that needs to be seen to be believed, but I was watching a lot of the videos that, uh, some of the videos you've got of this going on on, on your uh, Facebook page. And living in North America, it's so easy to forget how privileged we are. And, and seeing that was breaking my heart. Now, you buy recycled materials from these folks. Do you also hire these folks? Yes. Um, okay. But, but there's only a limit to how, much, how many people we can hire. So right now, in terms of the waste speakers who are male, uh, we hire like 30 of them. Um, 
But there's a lot of, I mean, you know, the, the 130 plus women that I mentioned who are part of my, my workforce are, are not waste because so they don't go around. And that has to honestly mainly do with um, just the culture of the North. So the women, you don't really see them going around picking, but they, they're really our processors, right? Um, they're the ones who help us with the processing of the waste once we buy them. Um, we do have um, recycling hubs around town where you can take your waste um, and go and, and drop off. Um, so we have both male and female doing that. Um, the roles that you also see a lot of women do is when they're cleaning the streets. You know, they really hire them as little control workers to clean the streets and make the environment clean. And in so doing, they also sometimes pick up all the waste that are in the gutters and resell them. So we also have relationships with those kind of women as well. But the people who are mainly on the dumb sites where it's quite dangerous are really young, young men who you know, are trying to, and there's, sometimes it could be over a thousand of them just trying to get their hands on as much, you know, so they're vying with each other to just get the material that comes in on the trucks. So I know I mentioned earlier on that this waste trucks go around town. So it's the waste trucks now, the central location that the waste trucks or the garbage trucks go and dump this waste is where you'll find a lot of times, a lot of these young men, over a thousand of them scoring around to try and get um, as much material for themselves as possible. And honestly, there have been instances where the trucks have backed up and killed a few of them. Yes. So again, it's not the most safe. It's 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 just, yeah, it's horrific situations, horrific, um, you know, situations that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I really wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And and how much money would they earn, Funto? I mean, it, it, I mean, in, in North American currency-wise, what's a... What does somebody doing this, these young men in these dump sites, what what would they earn just to give our listeners a sense of it? I mean, I think equivalent in a dollar, they probably would earn like a dollar, maybe a dollar fifty a day. Um, which, if you had to look at the general population, honestly, is not that bad um, because there's a need for the resources that they're collecting. But if you had to combine that with the amount of just the horrific situation that they live in and they work in. I mean, that, that dollar, dollar 50 is very small, very minuscule if you have to think about it. But, you know, I think the, the, the conversion rate would be probably like a dollar, dollar 50 a day that they're earning. And, and you mentioned right off the top, Funto, that the Nigerian people are very proud people. So, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine from a self-esteem, from a mental health, from a this is what you do every day and someone's paying you equivalent of a dollar fifty. That's pretty brutal to wake up to every day. I mean, I can't even describe the smell. I mean, anytime I have to go to the dump site, I mean my clothes, I mean, first of all, immediately I come back, it's I, you know, it's going into the, the washer. My hair stinks for like at least five days. I mean, just the stench alone. Um, whenever I go, um, it's just, I'm, I'm just, just trying to paint a visual picture and just, you know, so people, so yeah, I mean, it's, and unfortunately for some of these guys, it's, it's all they know. Um, uh, because again, like I said, they don't have any other, and they don't feel like they have any other skill set. Um, so this is all, they know where you don't need any education. You don't need any capital. You know, you can build like uncompleted batches, which are like uncompleted houses with, you know, like uh, uh, leather and, and and plastic and just, you know, try and take out a living for yourself, right? So, um, but one of the things that, the, for the guys that work for me, 
one of the biggest things that I think I've done to sort of change their lives is number one, they're all properly equipped. So they all have the PPE. But number two, I forced each and every one of them to go open a bank account. And let me tell you, when they opened the bank account for the first time and we provided, you know, work IDs for them, because a lot of times they can't open um, bank accounts because they don't have, it's almost like a a catch-22, right? You can't open a bank account without a work ID or an ID of some sort or an address. And a lot of these guys are migrant workers and they don't have, so it's just, so we provided them with the ID, we provided them with the, you know, picture ID and all that. And they can now go and open a bank account. And the first time, that they open, that they get an alert on their phones, or the first time that they're able to use their ATM cards. Oh my God, you should see the smiles on their face. But you know what that has also helped them to do is to save. So, you know, even with that, you know, if you convert the amount, it's a dollar, dollar fifty. But in Nigerian, um, you know, conversion rates in the Naira, it's it's quite a bit of money, right? It's still quite a bit of money. That's like equivalent of a thousand Naira a day. And what was happening before was that they would, you know, they would work. And again, that's why I said, these guys are so hardworking. And even my women are so hardworking because they would work and still send money home to their parents in the villages. Right. But what they were doing before, when they didn't have any account was they would go to the motor park, find somebody to send that money to their parents. Sometimes the money made it there. Sometimes it didn't make it there. Right. But now that they've opened um, bank accounts, they're able to save a lot more. So they're not spending all that money um, on things they can't trace. But then they can then do a transfer and have their parents go to like a, a a banking agent who is in the community. And the parents can then withdraw the money without them having to worry about, oh, is this money going to get there? And I'm telling you, it has been such a life changer for these kids. I mean, this young man, this, you know, it has been just just a game changer. Um, and even with my women, um, you know, being able to be part of the financial ecosystem, um, because we we force everybody to go open a bank account, is that now they're open, able to open side businesses on the side from the money that they earn from this waste processing to sell produce in front of their homes. You know, I have one woman who we call chair lady, right? She has a farm, but instead of going to the farm, she's been able to hire people to actually go to the farm for her and she still comes to work for us. So those are the, some of the life-changing things that are happening. You know, I have some of my workers who are going back to university um, to, to, to school, you know, they, they, they have, you know, education to a certain degree and now they're able to go back because they're able to save their money. And, you know, so again, it's, I, I could go on and on in terms of how this has just been very life-changing, but for a lot of my waste pickers, it's just making sure that they have a safe place to stay and sleep. It's making sure that they have an ID. So they're not chased around by, you know, government officials who think that sometimes they're thieves. It's making sure that they have bank accounts. And that they can save their money and they're not spending as they're earning. And it's just making sure that they're safe, right? So if, if anybody's ill or whatever, we make sure they go to the clinic, you know, they, we make sure they, and that sense of familiarity and of family, um, at least for my 30 or so boys that work with me, uh, we make sure that um, they have it. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm excited about what we've been able to do with them and and um, hopefully what we can, more we can do with them. Wow. I did not know until researching you Funto, or maybe I'd heard it, but I didn't recognize it. SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals. So first of all, could you introduce that concept to our listeners of SDGs? Um, And then let's just talk about how Bottles for Books and a lot of the other things you're doing fit within the Sustainable development goals. How did these come about and and how are you syncing with these SDGs? 
Sure. Thanks, Marilyn. So the SDGs are basically 17 goals um, that um, I think through the United Nations um, have come up, have come up or have been introduced that all the presidents of all the countries across the world have signed their names to that. These are the goals that we need to tackle in order for us to have a, a better world. Um, and, you know, the first one is no poverty. The second one is zero hunger. You know, the third one, I forget what the third one is. The fourth one is quality education. So these are like big goals that they sort of linked to sustainable development for the world in entirety. And so every government has sort of signed up and said, okay, we're going to make sure that we tackle these problems, right? And it's sort of like a filtering um, effect down the chain where then there are groups or organizations such as myself that come up and say, okay, we're going to try and tackle, you know, um, if it's climate action or life on land or life in underwater or peace, justice. And, you know, there's 17 goals. Um, and again, if you just give me a second, I'm sure I can quickly pull it up and, and I can read. <laughs> I, it wasn't supposed to be a quiz. Funto, okay. But. No. So, so, but so for us, number six is um, sanitation and water and sanitation. Uh, number four is um, quality education. And so just in the kind of work that we do, uh, we've been trying to, in our own small way, again, solve this problem. Right. Um, and so let me just, backtrack a bit and say, for me, I'm, I'm the daughter of two professors, right? University professors. So I grew up on a university campus here in Nigeria. Education has been all I've known for a big part of my life. And it's I, I understand the importance of education in the life. And I understand how, you know, just having an education can change the trajectory of your life. And I'm, my heart is broken every day. When you look at the stats, as far back as um, 2009, there were over 10 million children, I think 10.3 million children who are out of school. Um, since COVID, where a lot of people have lost their sources of livelihood, I would hazard a guess to say that number is probably closer to 17 million. And these are children who are under the age of 10 who are out of school. And these are the future leaders of Nigeria, the future leaders of the world tomorrow. And this is just Nigeria. I'm not talking about the world. This is just in Nigeria alone, right? So if you're already talking about a population of um, let's just say close to 20%, 10% of your population does not have a formal education, then we're in trouble, right? And so the concept was, how do we then use waste as a currency to be able to send children to school? Um, and we're not the first to do it. I mean, people, other places are doing it around the world, but we've tried to sort of like top each other a bit. And I'm happy to say that we currently have over 800 children who are in school right now who, you know, are using you know, recyclable ways to pay for their fees, right? And again, through the very generous support of other organizations um, like the Coca-Cola Foundation and some of these other people, we've been able to sort of do that way. We've built recycling cages in the schools um, so that the children can bring their waste and actually put it there and hire staff to just measure the waste that they bring. But honestly, I'm so passionate. And even if it's just one child, because maybe it's one child that's going to find the cure for cancer or the one child that's going to be the next president of Nigeria and is going to help, you know, take us out of where we are today, I don't know, right? But to make sure that every child has the opportunity to be able to be the best version of themselves is something that I'm passionate about. And so to be able to use waste, again, something that people throw out, something that people burn, to be able to turn that into currency for having conversations like this is just a game changer for us. And so that's what we've been able to do. So I think NetNet, since we started Bottles for Books program, we've had over a thousand children who have been able to at least go to school um, in some way, shape or form and, you know, be able to go to school with dignity. So it's not like someone is giving them a handout, but they're actually also participating in, you know, the parents are participating in making sure that their children or their wards are able to go to school. 
just incredible. And education for girls is tougher. Can you talk about that a little bit, Funto, about why, I mean, if it's a young boy of eight years old or if it's a young girl of eight years old, I mean, what, why is it tougher for the girls? And, and, and Marilyn, you're touching on so many things that, you know, I don't want to cry or just feel so bad, but, you, you can know. cry. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I, I think I know the answer to this, Funto, yeah. but I want to hear from you because I may not have the answer right in my own head. Yeah. No, so it's, you know, like I mentioned earlier on that we live in a very tricky society. So the men, the boys are the ones that honestly are seen as the, you know, like when people are having kids, they rather have boys than girls. That's just the honest truth in this side of the world, right? But what a lack of education for young girl does is number one, if, and I'll give you a true life example. Um, one of the reasons why I was, I became really passionate and really formalized bottle for books. I wanted to take it and scale it up was because I went, we were doing a program um, in a primary school a few years back, and we wanted to use um, waste materials to to build a playground for the primary school. And so we wanted to use tires and different things um, to to build. And so we went to the school, I wanted to speak to the school headmistress or the principal. um, And we saw these two young girls who were supposed to be selling, they couldn't be more than eight. But even at such an early age, they were already hawking goods around to sell. Um, and when I say hawking, they were carrying trays of food on their heads um, and the, the mothers or the aunties or the uncles had placed goods on their head and they had to go out and actually try and sell those goods and come back with the returns of the day. And these kids were not, these girls were not doing that. They were really literally sitting outside the classroom and picking in and watching what, and they were watching what the teacher was teaching and watching children their age who could afford to go to school were doing. And so when we called the girls aside, it was me and a friend of mine. And we said, why are you not in school, right? They said, they responded in Hausa, Ba Kudi. Kudi in Hausa language means money. And Ba means no money. So basically it said no money. But you know, what ended up, what has ended, happened is that even when people have children, and unfortunately in the side of the, the Northern part of Nigeria that I am, people have multiple wives. They have a lot of kids. If they had to decide who was going to end up going to school, it would honestly be the boy child and not the girl child. Why? Because they feel like the girl child, even as young as age 12, age 13, can get married to and go to her husband's house. So a lot of parents, a lot of fathers are like, why am I not going to spend, why am I going to spend money on a girl that is going to be somebody else's responsibility, right? That I'm going to marry off to somebody else. Um, I'm going to, I'd rather spend money on the boy child who is going to carry on my name, who is, you know, going to be, continue to be part of my family and who hopefully down the line is going to take care of me when I'm grown. So what ends up happening is that a lot of girl children don't end up going to school, especially in the northern part of the country, because people feel like, the, especially the parents feel like they're going to get married early anyway. We're going, they're going to be someone else's responsibility. But what that does, honestly, to a society like ours is that those young girls get married at an early age and start having babies at an early age. And the cycle continues, right? So babies are giving birth to babies. They're prone to domestic violence at a very young age because they don't have a voice, no education. They're trapped in marriages a lot of times to older men who are maybe three times their ages and they can't really do much. They're probably sometimes the fourth, sometimes the fifth wives um, who have um, stepchildren that are way older than them in some cases. You know, so it's just a life of, and, you know, trying to have a baby at such an early age, sometimes you develop complications, medical complications, um, that, you know, means that, you know, you, 
you start to um, wet yourself and you, you know, you, you can't control it. You know, so many horrific situations that, you know, this, the girl child faces, right. And because they don't have any education, they don't have a voice. Um, and so honestly, part of our bottles for books program is also focusing on, on making sure that as much as possible, the girl child without discriminating, but making sure that the girl child is, uh, you know, gets the, the, the bigger share of what we're trying to do, because we understand that if you support a woman or you support a girl child, you know, there's that triple, um, triple bottom line effect of not just the person themselves, but even their communities and their families get, you know, the support or get the, um, they get the support of, you know, being able to train the girl child. So for me, that's why it's, it, it's important. That's why I'm passionate about it is the fact that when you don't train the girl child, she ends up, you know, getting married very early. She ends up having a child very early. And if we don't break the cycle, the cycle just continues. Tell me if in your in your own words, son Funta, what is early? What is what is an early age for a, a girl to be married? And then corresponding question, what's an average age for this girl to start having children? Early is 11, 12, 13. Early is for birth is the same age, honestly. But you must be such an incredible beacon of light for the women and girls in Nigeria with your education and what you're trying to do and how you're giving back to the females in particular in your culture and giving them a voice and giving them a shot and giving them the education that they were never allowed to have. Am I, am I right? I, I can't even imagine they can look at you and say, if I can keep doing what I'm doing in terms of school education, I could maybe become like Funto. Definitely. But, you know, I, I think I struggle sometimes with, you know, the, the, the size of the problem and mm. not being able to do enough, you know? Mm. So, you know, I, you know, out of the thousand um, children that we've been able to support, I would say maybe the girl child is probably like 500 or 600 of those, but it's not nearly enough when we are talking in, in the million. So I think I honestly still struggle with that, but yes, I mean, I've seen, um, you know, even some of my workers, my women who, you know, have decided to send their girl children at any cost to school, right? So that they can become like me and have opportunities that they didn't have. Um, and so I see that I'm even some of, not just even my women, even some of my male workers, right? You know, I see them making sure that not just the girl, uh, the boy child, but the girl child is going to school. And when I see that, I, I get excited. And I, I think for the people that are within my sphere of influence, I'm also able to ask very pertinent questions. So if I know you work for me and you know, you have a girl child. My question is, where's your daughter? Is she in school? You know, why is she not in school? What are you doing to make sure she's in school? You know, so I think there's, you know, the mixture of all those things, right, allows me to be able to have a bit of an influence, right, um, to make sure that more girl children, at least within my sphere of influence, are going to school. So I I, I hope, I, I think, and I hope that, you know, I continue to be that, you know, beacon of light and support and you know, something that, you know, a lot of this, a lot of my workers or people that come into, into my sphere, um, you know, look up to and want to be like, um, but it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, and sometimes when I think about it, I'm just like, ah, how do we do this on a scale that, you know, really, really moves the needle, you know? Well, we ask all, we we will, at the end of this, we'll ask all of our audience and our listeners to pass this on and to to support you in any way you tell us that is the best way to support you. But 
I'm going to jump from this now to what happens to the plastic? So let's let's talk about the life cycle of, okay, you've bought it from the waste pickers or your people that are working for you have sorted it all out based on color, size, and thickness of the materials. So now what happens in terms of, okay, we've got all this stuff, it's cleanly sorted out into big piles. Where does it go from there? Yeah, so we actually work with different off-takers. So we work with, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you know, eight of the um, beverage bottles, like soda bottles, can actually make a t-shirt, right? They turn them into fiber. <gasps> yes. So no, okay, I gotta stop there. So Coca-Cola was somebody that you mentioned. So a like a two-liter bottle of Coca-Cola, a big one, or a 350 ml. I'm not sure. It's gotta be the big one, right? Two, two the two-liter bottle can make a t-shirt. Eight of those, eight of those, when they turn into fiber, can make a t-shirt, right? Yeah. So um the companies who turn them into fiber, the companies who actually turn them back into bottles. Um, the companies who actually use them, I mean, honestly, the, the use of this is in, it's, it's across different sectors, right? So there's a fiber sector, there's the beverage sector because they're making them into new bottles. Um, it's used in some parts for, in the, in car manufacturing for the fibers that you use to stuff your, the pillows and the, the something in the cars. Um, it's used in construction, you know, in some ways for posts and, you know, so again, the uses are wide. And so what we do is we process it in a way where um, we then not only process, but we transport to the off-takers in Nigeria. So we work with maybe 10 cost clients, um, and this is just plastic. We collect other materials, right? Paper, metals, um, but the largest, like 80% of what we collect um, is actually plastic materials. Um, and so we, 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 the, our processors, you know, either um, remove the labels on the caps they remove, we wash the bottles, we bail the bottles into huge cubes. Each cube is like 700 kilograms thereabouts. And then we load it on a truck and we take it to the factory of our off-takers, spread across the length and breadth of, of Nigeria. We also have clients who, um, in even in the food in the food sector, you know all the clamshells for sandwiches and things like that, or your transparent salad bowls, those also come from like plastic bottles. So again, the usage is quite wide. Um, the covers for the soda bottles um, can be recycled and, and used to make new buckets, new bowls, new um, packers. So, I mean, even the labels can be recycled as well. So, again, there's so many um, uses for um, the plastics and just all the byproducts that are on the on the plastic bottles. And one of the things that we're trying to push is for zero waste. So we're trying to make sure that all that material ends up in the right, in the right location on the, with the right off-takers. Excellent. So the off-takers pay you for these big, huge bales of, for argument's sake, plastic. And that's then how you earn your money. Exactly. Exactly. And we, so there are different types of plastic, not to get too technical, but there are seven types of plastics out there. So the number one is PET, which is like your soda bottles. And then you have another one, which is number four, which is your, I believe it's LDP, which is your low density um, plastics, and then you have your high density plastics. So the low density are like your nylon film, and then your high density are like your um, engine oil containers, your you know your those um, plastic chairs and things like that. So for the LDP and the HDP, we actually turn them into pellets. 
and we you will wash them we and then we pelletize them and turn them into small plastic resins so anybody who wants to manufacture like like i said household products like um buckets bowls all you need to do is to pour that those resins into your um extrusion machines or your injection mold machines and then you're able to um come up with your new product so we also do that but we're hoping to actually then scale and start producing household products ourselves so that's hopefully our uh, our our you know end goal um, is to be able to do that, but yeah, so we have those different um, types of plastics, and those different kind of plastics go to different users depending on what the usage is going to be for. I love it. So you've had to Funto invest in some pretty significant equipment in order to be able to turn these things into little pellets yourself within your within Chanja Date. Yes. Are you getting help? Like, is the government saying, "Wow"? Look at this woman and all the good she's doing, and we should be funding her, helping her, supporting. Is is the Nigerian government like standing up and waving a flag for you at this point? So I'm going. I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm going to be careful here, right? Because I never know who's going <laughs> to be somebody listening. from the Nigerian government yeah, is maybe so, listening. Right. So what I will say is, and I'm going to be very political here, but what I'm going to say is that you know we could definitely use more help. Okay. You know, so a lot of the permits that we use, um, we get from the government, um, and they've been quite supportive there. Um, financially, um, we could we could use more help, but we, you know, we we've not we've not gotten the kind of scalable help that we would need or want. Uh, but we, you know, we, we keep on hope we keep hope alive, right? That maybe maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow we'll get the right financial support. As of today, no. No. Okay. Thank you, and we'll stop talking politics. What about companies like? Coca-Cola that you mentioned, are, are they are they funding any of this or they're or they're purchasing from you and the bottling manufacturing, et cetera, is is so how how do they fit in? How does a large corporation like Coca-Cola fit into your initiatives? Yeah, so I will I will use this opportunity to just shout out on two um big corporations. So Coca-Cola and Nestle have been huge supporters in trying to um support with collection um and support with so we have recycling hubs around FCT, right? So the Coca-Cola organization, for example, was the one that who supported uh, this, our sister engines were able to put those hubs up, right? And they supported mm-hmm. us with like a compactor truck and things like that. So that's the Coca-Cola foundation, right? But even with um, network of off-takers, right? Coca-Cola in, in Nigeria has been supportive in just making sure that we have the right linkages to the right people who can off-take some of those materials. So they've been quite so supportive. And I know that they, they've done and they want to do more. Um, Nestle is the same way. We have a great relationship where they understand that, you know, their business model is generating waste and they want to make sure that they mop up, up, up as much waste as possible, a lot of this plastic as possible. So they've been at the forefront um, of just making sure that um, they give recyclers, even in the, on, in Nigeria, um, the support needed um, to be able to do that. Uh, but, you know, again, the quantum of waste is so much <laughs> that, you know, the support has been very generous. But we need more support. We definitely need more support. Yeah, to really make a dent in this, to really make a difference in this. Um, I wanted to also point out that for the kids that you're able to help go to school, boys and girls, it's also a phenomenal education for them around this plastic shouldn't go into the earth, into landfills, into dumps, or eventually into the ocean, so that you are helping to educate more socially responsible kids who understand that 
climate change is an issue and the oceans are becoming polluted and animals are dying as a result of what's going on with this. So kudos to you in terms of them gaining an understanding of what this is all about. Thank you so much. And, you know, it's not just some of the kids. Even when we go out to do outreaches in the communities um, and we're trying to onboard the children, we really need to do a huge community sensitization to let the parents and the guardians know. And even just telling them that we're going to use waste is a game changer for a lot of them, right? Um, Mm. And for those who have even lost their sources of livelihood, you know, it's saying, okay, if these people are willing to give us this amount of money for school fees, then it means that maybe I can start to trade myself, right, to make additional income. Um, collecting this way. So it sprung away. I know a few parents who now do this as a sort of way to earn additional income for themselves, um, not just for the fees of their children, but even just, you know, to supplement what they make, um, what they need in the home. So for me, that is very exciting, right? And again, it's so for every child, I think we're talking to at least two parents and maybe one, one additional adult. So the multiplier effect of that means that, you know, for the thousand or so children that we have, that we've spoken to, that's like an additional 3000 people that, you know, have also gotten or heard the message, right. Around environmental sustainability, around, you know, recycling, around making sure that we clean the environment and the usage of um, recyclable waste as a, as a means of currency. And they told two friends and they told two friends and it goes on and on like that. And so your, your, your footprint just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Funto, can we talk about Vital Voices? So Vital Voices is, is an organization that you are a member of and they search the world for women leaders who become mentors that have a vision that, that coach other women. And I write, is this, is this something that you're involved in and how are you helping other women through these these vital voices. I have to say that, um, you know, shout out to vital voices and the team. I mean, and I, th- I think where we are today, where I am today, even talking to you, Marilyn was definitely through the vital voices program. Cause you know, I did a competition late last year and actually won the grand prize. Whoop, whoop. Um, and it was through competition that was done in conjunction with the vital voices. So my, my journey with vital voices started because I actually applied for one of their programs, the vital voices grow program. And yeah, they go across the world looking for women leaders who are change makers in their environment or in their society. And, and then they, you know, bring them on board for a year and actually give us like hands-on training um, with a lot of support, technical, business, leadership training to just make us the best version of ourselves. Um, and once you graduate from the program, you become an alumni. And even the alumni support has just been phenomenal. Um, um, shout out to you know, Jackie and to all those guys who are doing great things. Right. Um, and it's, you know, and not only that, but just even being able to come up, uh, being a, in a group of sisters, I call it a sisterhood or a tribe of fellow women who are change makers, who are leaders in their own sphere. I mean, it was through vital voices that I know thinly from Bhutan. I know different people from all of that. I would never have, you know, ever met. It was through the vital voices program that I, you know, have met all these phenomenal women, and who are doing great things in their community. So um, the Vital Voices, they're based out of D.C. Um, I would also say anybody who wants to support Vital Voices, please, because we need more women. We need more women um, in the world who are doing great things. And it's through programs like the Vital Voices program, honestly, that, you know, who were able to support me um, to where I'm able to even do more of what we're trying to do, um, that we, we, you know, we've been able to make progress. So, you know, support for Vital Voices gets my vote any and every time of the day. 
Fabulous. Thank you. I, di- I did want you to do that shout out because that was obviously a big part of the, the background that I was researching about Yofunto. Let's go back to that contest that you won. Um, that contest was, um, you were winner, I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, 2021 We Empower. This is a UN, United Nations contest for sustainable development goals and you were the grand prize winner. Have I got that fact correct? You are correct. The UN. Wow. But but can I just quickly say that, you know, I, I mean, I'm humbled by the fact that I won, but yeah. there were five other women who were doing phenomenal work in other parts of the world. The work Nidhi is doing in, um, in India, the work Sarah is doing in um, Pakistan, the work that Aline is doing in Yemen. And the work that um, Pamela is doing in Brazil, right? Phenomenal women who are just doing great things that, you know, I'm quite humbled that I won, but it could have been any of us because we're all winners and we're all doing phenomenal work. Um, And even the people who have won in prior years, I think this was the third or fourth year, are also women who are doing, who are change makers in their society and in, in their different societies who are just doing phenomenal work. So Again, very humbled, very excited, but very humbled. Um, but I kn- I know that, you know, it could have been any of the other phenomenal women that could have won that prize because they're doing awesome, awesome work. Um, everything from, you know, healthcare to support for L- LGBTQ to just across the board, you know, I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal work. Um, so working with um, people who are displaced because of war and language instruction, just phenomenal work, phenomenal work that they're doing. And what, I mean, yes, it's an honor, and I, and you are a very humble individual, Funto, but the fact that that got you to a place where you could meet and network with these other women in all of these other countries raises you up, not specifically saying, oh, well, it's all about you, but your organization, Chanjadati, and, and it gives you more of a global presence, as well as the other women that were nominated because of... The UN is is a big platform. So that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I can't, you know, I can't, I don't know that I could have paid for the visibility for sure. Yeah. Um, and just even the opportunity like I have now to talk to you, meet you and talk to you. Um, some of the other um, things that, you know, Vital Voices and the We Empower program has offered us in terms of leadership exposure and things like that, coaching sessions has just been really, really great. And the promise to myself and to you know, just the program is that I'm going to make sure that I I make the best of the opportunities that have been given, right? So I'm excited about it. I'm super excited. And not only that, I always tell people that, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. So even as I become a leader, um, a global leader now, um, you know, with my star sort of being, shining a bit more, um, is to make sure not to forget the people coming behind me and to make sure, you know, again, I'm a big supporter of not a handout, but a hand up. So I want yeah. to make sure that I, uh, and I, I do that, but even on a larger scale, mentor more women entrepreneurs, mentor more women on the African continent, mentor, make sure that more girl children are going to school, make sure that more women are able to be economically empowered so that, you know, they don't have to stay in horrible relationships if they don't have to, but they have the economic means to support themselves. And if they have children, do that and get out of, you know, maybe domestic violence um, um, situations. Just so many things. There's the, the, all those things are things that I think about daily, and I'm like, how do I make sure that this happens on a scale that makes sense, right? On a scale that is is we I can see an, an approachable 
um, different, you know, and, and so thank you for Marilyn for such an awesome platform to be able to share what we're doing, you know, to be able to just tell our story for those who ever haven't ever thought about Abuja, Nigeria, recycling on the continent, all that to be able to just tell our story and tell, um, t- tell or share the impact that we're making. Thank you. It is. I'm honored. I'm honored to know you, meet you, and talk to you. What do you think, Funto, the the future of your organization? What is the future of Chanja Date? If you if you had a magic wand, let's pretend, what would you like this to look like in say five years? If you could dream big, where where would you like to take this organization going forward? Oh, that's don't don't that's a dangerous question to ask me because I, I'm a dreamer of sorts. But um, oh, good. Well, then go crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I, for me, you know, I, you know, I've always been passionate about keeping jobs on the, on the African continent and especially in Nigeria, right? Because a lot of people who don't have jobs. So I would love to, again, move into the end, the manufacturing end of things and have collection spots across the continent, but also have like manufacturing spots where we're actually making, you know, I mentioned something about fiber earlier on or bottle to bottle. Like if I could have a few bottle to bottle plants, maybe one in West Africa, one in East Africa, you know, and maybe one in South Africa where we're collecting a lot of these plastic bottles and actually turning them back into bottles for usage in the beverage company industry. That would be phenomenal because not only are we recycling and promoting circular economy, but I know that there are jobs that are being kept on the African continent. But in order not to, because I know that there's a need for, you know, what the waste that is generated here. Um, I'm also interested in partnering with organizations in U.S. and even in Europe who maybe have bottling plants and also need these resources. Like I mentioned, just in Nigeria alone, 200 million people, we have a lot of the waste, right? What we're trying to do is to sort it out in a way that makes sense. Uh, and I want to make sure that not just in on the African continent, but even in maybe Europe and in the U.S., we have partners who can reuse these resources um, for, for what is needed. So those are my big goals in, in five years, right, is to have not just a collection infrastructure, but to have a, a means where we can actually turn them into new bottles um, and, and spread out, not just in Nigeria, but on the African continent and have partnerships or collaborators um, in, in Europe and in, in, in United States. Excellent. You'll do it. I know you'll do it. We'll help you to do it in any way we possibly can. Excellent. 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 Because we're talking on Breaking Brave, I would love to ask you, what does bravery feel like or look like to you? Just give me a gut answer on that. I think bravery is running into the fire. Bravery is deciding to take a path that other people feel is too difficult. Um, bravery for me is even this journey I'm on, you know, exchanging comfort for challenge. Yeah. It's bravery. Um, you know, the choices I've made for me personally, you know, working in a male dominated sector, um, leaving the comforts of the U S to come back to Nigeria to sort of set this thing out where processes and people are sometimes not the easiest. I think is my version of bravery uh, to some degree, but it's running into the fire. I mean, you know, I tell people that sometimes there are days where you get so overwhelmed that you just, you just don't want to get out of bed because you're just like, ah, you have a long list of things you need to sort of sort. But when you think about the people who depend on the platform that you've created, you just, you get out of bed and you do what you need to do. Um, So just showing up every day in some instances is bravery um, as far as, as I know. 
Thank you. And I was thinking about the visual that you created. And thank you for telling the stories. Because to me, it's stories just create the movies in your mind and the visuals of those two little girls who were, quote unquote, with trays on their head, hawking stuff or supposed to be for making an income for their families, but sitting outside the classroom and listening. Those are the kids that get you out of bed in the morning because the ability to send them into the classroom instead of hawking goods outside of the classroom is the difference you're making. And can I just say that those two girls spurred for me, I mean, the first batch of children we supported and they ended up going to school. We made sure we, we found a foundation that made sure. And the foundation came in and said, they, okay, they would take, I think they ended up sponsoring, I'm going to say 50 girls. Um, so we went to the principals and we just said, you know, we want to meet the parents of these girls. Um, we want them to go to school. What happened then was that we got more children. We asked for, I think the, the foundation asked for 50 girls. Honestly, 500 girls showed up in that community alone. Parents brought children. We, I mean, the foundation could only, add, but the principal made a plea to us and said, look, there are three girls who have finished the primary school who are like maybe age 11, 12, who are brilliant girls, but because no, no funding um, cannot go to secondary school, which is like go to middle school. Mm-hmm. And can this foundation, so the foundation was wanted children who they would support through the length of the primary school. And we're not looking at children who were out of the primary school age. Um, and the principal made such a solid case for these girls, three of them. She was like, you know, I'm so afraid that if they they still they have so much potential, they're so brilliant that if they don't go to school now, they're going to end up as brides, child brides, right? And they just have that potential to be able to do more. And so the foundation was able to support three other those three girls and was going to support them and are supporting them through the length of their um, not just for the first year, but through the six years of their of their education. So those are the kind of stories that. Um, you know, I, I get excited about. Um, recently, we went to a primary school uh, where we have, I think it's 290 children right now um, who are in school. And there actually is a 21-year-old girl who is back in school. She's back in primary school. And she also is a child bride who suffered a lot of miscarriages. Um, I think she had up to four miscarriages uh, and decided she she left her husband, young girl, um, but now is so determined to go to school, determined to go to school and make something of herself. Um, and she she doesn't mind. She's back in school now. 21-year-old sit in class with 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. But she's determined. And those kind of girls are the ones that we want to really support through the work as they're, you know, if they're if you're determined and you, you know, you really show up, we don't want funding to be an issue where you cannot do the you be the best version of who you are. Um, and those are the kind of people that we're looking for every day to say, we want to support you. Um, honestly, with the way Nigeria is, I mean, some of these children, and because of the way family situation are, a lot of these children are also children of um, displaced people who, I don't know if you heard of Boko Haram in Nigeria, but we've had a lot of terrorists, um, especially in Northern Nigeria. So a lot of them were displaced from the core North and came down to Abuja. And you know, some of them live in IDP camps, which is the internal displaced people's camps. And as things are easing up now, because the government is trying, um, some of them are making the choice to move back up north to go reclaim their lands and you know their their homestead and things like that. So some of the children do end up going back to the parent with the parents to those places, right? But my thing is, even if the only thing they learn how to do in that one year that they're in school is able to read a bit and write a bit and you know do a bit of math, it sets them up to be able to do. You know, they can then maybe have a trade of some sort down the line. Versus if they cannot even do any of those things, right? 
Um, and so that is, you know, for those children who have to end up moving, when we do have quite a number of cases like that, um, even if it's just given the basic where they couldn't read and write before, now they can at least do the basics and they can at least write their names and write one to 10 in numbers at, at a minimum. Um, then I think we've we've done something or we've achieved some 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 measure of success. Absolutely. Now now we come to the part where I want to brazenly promote you. I want you to tell us when you're talking about support, uh, Funto, how can our listeners, how can the communities that are listening to this Breaking Brave episode, how can we support you, what you're doing, Chanja Date, whatever you want in terms of us helping you to do more of the wonderful things that you're doing for the world? And you, you won't believe that this is such a hard part for me because it's not, you know, I'm, I'm just school of thought of, oh, you need to work hard and sort of grow organically. But I'm learning every day that, you know, again, it's not a handout, it's a hand up. Yep. So where people can really support us, um, we need equipment. Okay. Honestly, I need equipment. I need equipment, manufacturing equipment, like I mentioned earlier on, that can help us start to manufacture, um, even building equipment. You know, and that's just for Chandadati with the business side of things, right? Capital and equipment. Those are the two things that I need, you know. Okay. And I don't know if you want me to go into numbers or that's just enough, but capital and equipment are the two biggest things that I need. Um, and if if people also listen, have connections with uh, manufacturing companies in the U.S. or in Europe who are looking for partnerships and who want to buy materials from us, I would love those kind of connections, right? I would love, love those kind of connections to help us sort of, you know, start that. In terms of um, bottles for books, you know, through our sister organization called Waste Africa, you can actually support or sponsor a child. Um, we've tied it out down to, you know, the children bringing in the waste. But I will tell you that sometimes, you know, the waste that they bring is not enough to send them to school. So we always need to supplement um, the waste that they bring so that they can go to school. So as many as led, they can sub- decide to sponsor a child. Um, the equivalent of sending a child to school for a year is um, is like 15,000 naira if they go to like a local elementary school, which is not a lot. But, you know, this school is supposed to, the schools are supposed to honestly be somewhat free. But because the schools don't have enough teachers, you have to buy your own books, you have to pay for your own uniforms, the cost sort of add up for a lot of parents. And that's why, and a lot of parents and even some children don't want to go to school if they're going to have to go in, in casual clothing and they're not wearing the uniform, right? So that 15,000 um, Naira is maybe the equivalent of, let me just do a quick math because I hadn't thought about that, but 15,000 divided by 400 um, Naira is $38 for a child to go to school a year. I mean, I wish that we could get people's waste from, you know, the U.S. and, you know, really be able to convert it. Uh, but since that's not possible, if anybody feels led to be able to support us um, with sponsoring these children, um, we would love, 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 love that. Absolutely. And it, we will have all of these things in the show notes written out okay. so that people can read them and see them. How about following you and continuing to promote your message in terms of social media handles? Is there anything you want to do a shout out there to Funto? Yeah, so you can find us on um, on Instagram, um, Chanjadati Limited is our, like the short name. You can find us on Twitter as well, Chanjadati Limited as well. Um, LinkedIn, you know, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Olufunto Bar Office. 
And we're also on Facebook, Changedata Limited. I know for some people, let me just spell it out so that, you know, everybody. And yeah, then our website, of course. Yeah, our website, of course, you can you definitely follow what we're doing there. Um, it's C-H-A-N-J-A-D-A-T-T-I. So Changedata. So any of those iterations, if you go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, you'll find us. And please just follow us support what we're doing. Um, and not just myself, you know, I mean, there are other recyclers on the continent as well, that are Nigeria as well, that are trying to do big things. So, you know, just getting the message out, you know, they're great people trying to just make sure. I'll just quickly throw in the statistics, right? And this is just for yes, just please. even West Africa, not just even Nigeria, right? But as of 2016, there was 176 million tons of waste that was generated in West Africa. Nigeria being the most, the most um, contributor of that, by 2050, there's going to be 516 million, 516 million tons of waste generated. So that's tripling um, the number of waste that is generated. And but that you know that's to be expected because you know industrialization, you know people going back to the workforce, you know packaging materials from groceries, all that right um, contributes to that. But that's tripling like 30 years, tripling the amount of waste. So my desire is that you know. I, I always tell people, I heard this a while back, that if we don't treat the waste, the waste will come back and waste us, right? So we need to make sure we take care of the waste. It is so important. And promote circular economy, promote recycling, promote you know, things that will make sure that we also manage the reserves that we have on earth so that we leave this earth a better way, a shape and form than, than we met it. And, and even for the younger generation that we don't leave an earth that is on its last legs, right? That we, we make sure that we do our part to make sure that the earth is, is safe and healthy and and is is worthy of living in. I don't think I could have ended on a more positive and happy note. You are a gift, Fonto, you are a gift. And thank you for thank you. chatting with me and thank you for educating me and the listeners about all of the wonderful things you're doing in the situation that I think is so easy for us not to be aware of in Nigeria, on the continent. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'd love to have you come back, you know, in a year-ish or something. And just Definitely. let's do part two of this. How are you doing now? Have we been able to get the voice bigger? Have we been able to get you the equipment and the capital that you need? Let's revisit this. But in the meantime, thank you from the bottom of my heart, truly, for making my day and our listeners' day, and bless you for everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Marilyn. And I'm so, so grateful for your platform, grateful for your listeners, and I'm grateful for just the awesome, awesome work you're doing um, in, in just helping us to tell the stories that we, we need to tell. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time. <laughs>